All right. Holy shit. All these people. Uh, yeah. Hey, welcome to the Atheist Experience Live. We are here in Cincinnati, Ohio at the 2019 American Atheist Convention where I'm told not too far from here uh, Ray Comfort and Ken Ham are having another convention and I want to make this point before I say anything else. Isn't it cute that now that the nuns are not only the fastest growing religious segment in the United States and and the non-believers are the largest independent individual identity within this to whatever extent that's true that the Christians are now putting on entire conventions over Easter weekend to compete with the atheists down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are live here. We are happy this is being recorded. It'll be broadcast uh, or restreamed later, and probably this will be tomorrow's episode because most of us are here. And obviously, we can't take phone calls, but I'm your host this week, Matt Delaney. Joining me this week, Mr. Phil Session. Woo! Thanks for having me here. Who? Yeah. Eric already gave you, like, an amazing introduction, and I wasn't going to let him keep blowing me. We've got a show to do, and there's people out here who paid good money to listen to us blab for a while. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, tomorrow for uh, the main show, they're going to record a live show um, at our regular time at 4.30, and then this will be rebroadcast right after that happens. And so it's going to be a two-for-one deal for those that are in the online world. So Further proof that I know nothing about what's going on and just show up and talk. Uh, by the way, I'll also be at ShoeCon this year. Uh, <laughs> and I'd like to announce that I'm starting my own fundraiser uh, to raise money for an expedition to go and rescue Aaron's expedition in Africa lecture. <laughs> we have, uh, I, I know uh, Ben's out there possibly getting some more questions. We have questions yes, coming in. Yes. We have zero guests. We're not pulling any, but well, who knows? Somebody might show up at some. I sent a message to Ray Comfort. Um, <laughs> and any I, responses this, for that? This is true. Uh, yeah, I offered to go to their convention and let them question me and then have one of them come up here and have you guys do that too. And when that didn't get a response, I sent him a quick message to say, you know, if you can get to the American Atheist Convention by three, I'll be doing a live atheist experience. You would be a welcome guest to sit down and chat for a little bit. I okay. uh, did not get a reply. Mm, that's a shocker that, there. He's probably shocker. busy. I mean, they're doing a convention. They've got to have just loads of people and lots of bananas. That they're lots selling Ark there. Park tickets and other bullshit, too. Wow. But uh, <laughs> All right. Now, not all of these. Ha- we, oh, you have stuff we have to go through first. See? You're in charge. Oh, yeah. There, there's, I guess, a few things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that intro by uh, Eric on that side. But um, uh, for those of you that uh, don't know me as well, I've been on the show, I guess, for almost three years now. to be about three years this summer on the side as one of the rotating co-hosts, but I'm the vice president of the Atheist Community of Austin. And uh, I handle all of the uh, volunteers. I'm the community service individual there for the ACA. I coordinate Austin Atheist Helping the Homeless um, there in Austin, Texas. And I also am on the board and coordinate volunteer activities for Free Thinkers Association of Central Texas down in San Antonio. So there's always a lot of volunteering uh, going on. and now, as we mentioned, I'm not sure if anybody looked at the schedule, there's going to be a volunteer event tomorrow here at AACon. 
Uh, I think it starts at 1 p.m. on tomorrow. So for those of you that are still here, I'm super looking forward to that. Like I made sure that I would be here for it because last year I had to leave slightly early so me and Tracy can actually drive back and, and be back in Texas at a reasonable time. So I'm looking forward to actually doing that because I love the volunteer and community service aspect. It's freaking awesome. So if you're going to be here, show up. Yeah, we'll we, did this, we did this in PA at a convention, and it was legitimately – one of the best parts of the convention, everybody had a good time. You know you're awesome. doing good. You're feeding 50,000 people or more. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful project. So I'm super awesome. But um, I did post a post on my Facebook earlier this week on the, uh, the Secular Student Alliance's Ask an Atheist Day. And I told a few people that, hey, you know, I would read some of those questions. And so I'm going to read just a few questions on there before we actually get to the audience questions uh, on here as well. But uh, Roy, who's one of the volunteers for um, Austin AHH and... Uh, Austin says, how have your parents or family taken your atheism? So do you want to <laughs> start They've there? Or... Taking it from behind, I think. Is, <laughs> uh, so for those who saw a recent show, I had my 50th yeah. birthday at the end of March, and I got a letter from my mom. Uh, I'm not going to rehash what I said about it, but I did, I think it was probably like a 20-minute rant oh, wow. about uh, how I let them... Just be, I mean, they're hurt. And I understand this. And I got letters from people after the rant who really enjoyed it. And some people thought, well, you're just a callous ass who doesn't understand that your parents are just feeling sad that you're going to hell. Oh, if you think I don't understand that, you haven't been paying attention. But what I had to do is, after a decade of getting passive-aggressive messages and one-way communication, I just said, you know what? Um... I'm happy to have a conversation with you if you want, in person or on the phone, but if you're going to write me another letter like this, you know, I will not be accepting anything that comes from in the mail from you at all. I'll go directly in the trash, so if it's important, make it registered or something. So now I'm expecting to get like a registered birthday card next year. <laughs> but I, I put my foot down and drew a line, and like what I didn't talk about on the show is two days later, my mom sent me a text message. She'd had uh, surgery on her tongue, and there'd been like a follow-up issue, and she thought she was going to have surgery again. She went and saw the doctor, and the doctor said, no, you don't have to have surgery again. So she sent me a text message that was, you know, hey, I went to the doctor, praise the Lord, I don't have to have surgery. And I replied, I'll praise the scientists and the doctors, but I'm very happy that you don't have to have surgery. Yeah. And now they know that when they send me passive-aggressive Jesus shit, they get Matt from the show, and if they want to talk about something else, then they can talk to their son. Oh, wow. So that's... Not, not that Matt from the show is dramatically different, but I was cutting my mom a lot of slack for a long time. Yeah, that my... I mean, my parents and family, it's definitely everyone knows if, you know, for the folks that are on the Facebook world, I post a lot that's on there. It's always, you know, some event that's going on, something community service-wise or something that's atheist-oriented. So... Everyone is aware of the issue, and what it kind of boiled down to is people just kind of didn't want to mention it. No, it's something that you didn't talk about. And so when we gather for family occasions, because I still do attend a lot of the major family functions, I'll travel up um, to where all the rest of my family is, and we'll do the big dinner, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to you know, the time to pray, so you know everybody joins hands and gathers around, all that kind of good stuff, and typically I just look around. I don't I don't bow my head. I used to bow my head. I actually used to close my eyes and just kind of not do anything, kind of playing the part. But now 
it's just like, I'm just going to look around. And so I see all see the, who's looking back. the little kids that are walking around, just kind of, you know, looking around, trying, you know, not doing what they're quote unquote supposed to be doing. And so, but uh, my mom, the conversation that I've had with her, she, we have conversations about it and she will actually be the one to initialize these conversations. But she always says there's a point where she has to cut her off. So we're having a conversation. When she's losing. Yes. <laughs> now, for, for on her perspective, it becomes it's too much. It's 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 too much, and so she's asked me about my activism and why I act. Uh, why am I an activist? And you know, why do you have to go out there with the label of atheism? And I was starting to go into some of that about the misconceptions that are out there and the knee-jerk reactions that people have to the word atheism. And you know, ten minutes into the conversation, okay, that's it. And so for the rest of my visit there, we'll probably not broach the subject again. And so we've been doing these little pieces for the last couple of years as she asked about different topics and we have those discussions. So that's the way we've kind of done it. But I still love my family. I still have a relationship with them. I still value that relationship. And, you know, most people are respectful on that side. They know what it is that I do, but they also see a lot of the community service that's there that, you know, generally eclipses uh, most people's involvement in a lot of community service and they applaud that and they think it's a wonderful thing. And so there's some common ground there, at least on that aspect that, you know, we can still do good things, even if I'm a dreaded atheist out there doing it. And so you're a terrible awesome. human being, but we love you. <laughs> this is the dichotomy that comes up over and over again, because, you know, I, I made it easier for my parents at one point because I said, look, you, you can give me your testimony as often as you want. You know it's not going to change my mind. I want actual evidence. And the other thing is they can't, I'm better equipped to argue the Bible and the philosophical stuff than they will ever be or care to be. My mom knows pretty much nothing about the Old Testament. Uh, so it's kind of pointless to bring it up. And she turns out she doesn't know all that much about the New Testament either. She just <laughs> knows Jesus. And that is a particular mindset that it's not uncommon. Most most believers don't know that much about the origins of their religion, their holy book. They may not even be able to be very confident about what they believe or why. And that's why these conversations are so uncomfortable. And there are exceptions to this. I mean, I debate a lot of kind of professional apologists, which is, uh, isn't that weird? Like, I can understand why reason, science, and things like that need advocates. Because... Mm -hmm. Reason and science don't do anything without advocates. Sure, sure. Why would an all-powerful God need great comfort to come tell me about it? <laughs> I mean, we, we were, how many people were at the rally out at the fountain yesterday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a really nice person out there that I talked to for a minute, and, and she was spun up before I ever started talking. Mm. And all I wanted to do was ask her, you know, let's give her a decent impression of how we can maybe have these conversations, which you'll find out more about after this is over when Anthony gets up to talk about street epistemology. But I was, oh, yeah. I was trying to make it clear, I'm not in any way saying you're wrong. I'm asking you, how can you demonstrate that you're right? Well, I am right. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm asking you how you can demonstrate that. Well, what woke you up this morning? Your alarm clock didn't wake you up this morning. The Spirit of God woke you up this morning. And I'm like, actually, my phone woke me up this morning. Uh, but... <laughs> All I'm, Your phone you, is the spirit of God? It is. I, I'm getting a label for it. Uh, <laughs> and so I was, I would, all I would do is ask a question, which isn't always the way I got about it, but there's a lot of different ways to have these conversations. Sure. And so she grabs her cell phone and is 
trying to take a picture of my badge, and I held it up to make sure she could, you know, get it as well as she could. And I, I kid you not, and I'm not just saying this because it's funny as fuck, but she's pointing the camera at my face, and, and she's not answering any questions. She's just saying, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And then she goes, well, have you ever heard of Ray Comfort? <laughs> and I said, yes, I have. He's called into my show. I've debated him on the radio. I've met the man in person. And the first trick in my magic act is all about Ray Comfort while Ray Comfort talks. What do you got? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was a little, I mean, that kind of shortened the conversation. I said, did that end the conversation? <laughs> yeah. I did not get asked if I was a good person. Mm, okay. Okay. Just missed that out. But uh, there's a there's a question here. There's actually there's a question here from uh, Jennifer B, which I cannot answer. But I, if you come up to me afterwards, I will explain to you why I can't answer it. Um, what's, your, what's your? Have you got the next you know, one, or you want to do this? I'll one? go ahead and do this. Um, right. So I'll go ahead. How do I get the deep rooted leftover dogma out of my heart and life? And then in parentheses it says that's Christianity. Uh, that's yeah how did you get how did you wash the jesus poison out of your heart and life <laughs> the jesus poison um i guess for me it was it was a much more gradual process and you know when i was in college and i was understanding that i no longer had a belief in this particular realm of Christianity, you know, I was raised Baptist and the other side was free church of God in Christ, but I didn't subscribe to that anymore because I saw it as there were too many hands in the pot when it came to what you actually should do and what the Bible says and how many times it's been rewritten and stuff like that. And so I kind of, I kind of transitioned out by saying, I'm just going to do my own version of religion. So I became spiritual, but non-religious that, you know, that lovely title. And it was... I kind of just had church in my own way. I would listen to music at the house. I would kind of do my own thing. And I started looking at the world, not through the lens of the doctrine that I grew up with, because I wasn't convinced by that anymore. And the people that I spoke with about it, when I had questions and wanted to find out more, it wasn't satisfactory. And so my transition was more, uh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to kind of figure this out on my own versus trying to rely on this set of rules that, you know, who the hell knows, put it in this book uh, as to how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to figure it out for myself. And I've made mistakes. That's for sure. I've had stumbling blocks and things that I couldn't answer. I wasn't ready to answer and had to do more research on several issues to kind of find the way I wanted to move forward. But it was kind of making the decision that I wanted to chart my own path uh, even before I identified as an atheist, this was before that time. Um, and it just kind of remained that way even after I identified as an atheist and learned what that was, that, you know, we don't have any, you know, supernatural guidance. We, we're in this, we're in this ourselves. We're in um, this thing ourselves. So we need to figure out how we're going to push through. And so that's why I try to live my life by that. And that's how I kind of left uh, that dogmatic, um, the rules and everything else. Thank you. Yeah, this, there's various versions of this question that I've been asked over the years. I know atheists who've been atheists for 50 years, and they still wake up with nightmares about a hell they were indoctrinated to believe in. And as soon as they wake up, they're like, oh, well, yes, on an intellectual level, I know that's not the case. Uh, so I'm over it, and I'm on with my day. And the truth is, <laughs> there's a 
bunch of little truths here. One is that quite often the things that you look at that you believed, that you were indoctrinated to believe, the dogma and the things that you're hanging on to, may not actually be a part of the religion at all. It may just be a part of a particular group within that religion that you were hanging out with. For example, if you're terrified of, of a notion of hell, well, uh, as it turns out, Billy Graham and Fred Phelps both went to the same seminary and had a falling out. Uh, and it wasn't about whether or not God hates homosexuals. It was about whether or not hell is a real place, because Fred Phelps believed that hell was a literal place people were going. And Billy Graham took more of an annihilation theory route, that when you're dead, you just die, and that's the end, unless you believe in God, and then you get to keep living. And this is, these are really subtle arguments that go on. One of my favorite debates that I've ever seen uh, was between Matt Slick and Jesse. Oh, I apologize, Jesse. I'm not going to remember his name. But two Christians uh, debating about the requirements of salvation, basically a Calvinist view and everything else. And I've said it before, my favorite part, Jesse would present a whole bunch of Bible verses and show why they agree with his point of view. And Matt would present a whole bunch of Bible verses and show why they agree with his point of view. And at no point did, other, did either of them say, that verse that you're citing is wrong, and it means this, because they can't. So when you... I, th I can't remember who said that... Uh, Religions poison you and then offer you the cure. And then my revision of that was that religions can convince you that you're poisoned when you're not and then offer you the homeopathic remedy because there's no there there. Does not, Nothing I'm saying makes this any easier. For me, getting over a fear of hell was really easy. For others, it's not going to be. I, I just basically said, wow, I've spent zero time worrying about the hell of other religions. So right. clearly this is a result of indoctrination. And now I'm free to live my life. The thing to remember is that, yes, I, I understand you, you can be struggling with how to get over the, the leftover dogma and stuff that, that's kind of baggage in your life. And it's not just baggage about hell. It can be baggage about sex. It can be baggage about abortion. It can be baggage about all kinds of positions that your church and, your, and the people you surrounded you with specifically stuck into your brain. It's okay that you're having difficulty going through it. Anybody here? had some difficulty getting rid of baggage related to Christianity? Anybody here still may be dealing with some of it? You, none of you are alone. This is the reason that we're doing this. There's, there's a reason that I don't, I'm not, I don't just do this because I think I'm right and religious people are wrong. I do it because I recognize that there's real damage to being wrong. And not just in the sense of, oh, we're going to elect this person or poison the Supreme Court or go up against this it's, it's not all politics. It is about me hearing from a 15-year-old kid who's been kicked out of his house and disowned by his parents because he no longer believes and had the audacity uh, to express this. It's about uh, hearing from the 70-year-old that is dealing with uh, cancer and terminal life issues, and their family is constantly coming with this barrage of stuff, and it brings up memories of how they were raised. And then there's this, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, what if I'm wrong? Well, oh, my gosh, what if I did this? And how am I doing? It is, it is abusive. It is emotional abuse. You are the victim here. And the thing to remember, because people say, aren't you mad at your parents for teaching you this and doing this to you? Aren't you mad at your preachers for doing this to you? No, because they're victims too. My parents sincerely believe and honestly thought that they were teaching me the right thing my parents love me. 
They weren't trying to do damage to me. They were doing the best they could, and they were wrong. The thing that I'm pissed at them about is not that they did this while they were convinced they were doing it was the right thing, but that they don't stop doing it when we have a conversation where they recognize either they are wrong or I can't have this conversation anymore because it will force me to recognize that I'm wrong. That's the thing I'm pissed about, and it's not entirely their fault because religions have built-in uh, defensive mechanisms. You know, don't doubt, don't question. Uh, Satan's going to come after you. Matter of fact, if you're doing right by the Lord, your life might actually be miserable. People might not like you. You say stuff about Jesus and you're persecuted. That just means you're doing right by God. Well, maybe it means you're an asshole. Maybe people are tired of you doing this. It's going to take time, and the best things you can do, one of, the, one of them you've already done because you're here, and surrounding yourself with other people who are going through the same things you're going through and have been through the same things you're going through is probably one of the best. You know, I'm not a psychologist, so don't take my advice, but uh, there's probably a couple here that will verify this. Maybe one of the best things you can do to get out from underneath the indoctrination mindset and start to take ownership and value your own life. Yeah, I want to... I want to piggyback off of that as you know, Eric and Jamie were mentioning in the last, and this, this is a community, and you're not alone in the struggles that you're going with, that baggage that's there. There's a lot of people around you that have had something similar to that. I'm, everyone has their own unique experience, but they, are all, they may hover around the same type of experience. And so sharing that with others and getting different perspectives from others that have also gone through that may hopefully help you get through what you're going through and so that you can come out the other side and uh, find a little more happiness in your life. And so, you know, it's community. It's what it's there for. That's what we do. So, uh, All right. You got the next one? Um, I will. Um, this is from uh, Jackie down in San Antonio. Uh, she specifically uh, referenced it as me being gay and atheist, uh, but she... Wait, you're uh, an atheist? <laughs> oh, my God. Didn't you know? What? Uh, but uh, it's uh, what advice would you give others in your shoes? And I'm just going to broaden it just in general. Just as coming out, what advice would you give others about it? And was there, with, is there anything that you would do differently in hindsight in the way that you came out? And I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Yes. <laughs> um, like the way that I came out, I initially came out as gay before I came out as atheist. And... You know, I had heard the stories. I had, you know, heard of the Trevor Project and a lot of the uh, people that call there and a lot of the depression that can go on from it if you're rejected and a lot of the stigma that came with it. And so rather than just coming out, I, I knew I was gay for it was a while. <laughs> it, it was a while. But I wanted to, you know, get my financial independence because I was like, well, what if I get cut off? You know, what if I don't have insurance? What if I don't have a ride to go to work? Because I was still dependent on my parents to be able to drive me to another city in order to go to my second job, for example. And, you know, it was all of these concerns about what if. And so I took a long time to do that. I, you know, bought a, a cheap cash car because I, I needed to get something, got some insurance, and uh, finally started to feel secure in my life that if the worst came to worst, I could handle this. I had a network of friends that could support me. I had, you know, my own family that I had made, and you know, I would hope that no one else, and I hope that it's definitely gotten better for people that are more recently coming out, that they don't have to have such concern, but there still are stories uh, that are out there, but I'm not sure if I would do 
anything differently, even coming out as gay or coming out um, as atheist. And atheist, it was really by Facebook, by <laughs> means of uh, Facebook, where people start to see, hey, I'm posting this. And I'm like, well, they're going to find out at some point. I'm not going to just sit there and hide it. And we'll, we'll just see. So some people blocked me, you know. Some people didn't want to see my timeline. It was too many rainbows, too many uh, atheist emblems coming up on my timeline. So it's like, no, we don't, we don't want to see that. I still love you, but I won't see that. Uh, that type of thing. And so I wouldn't change anything about the way that I came out because it's, it's always unique to the person. And for me, it worked uh, and made me feel secure all the way kind of through that process, even though I was terrified still of, oh, shit, you know, what if it worse comes to worse? But I've given advice a lot of times saying that, you know, if you, if you really, if you decide you want to come out, you have to be clear that you want to deal with the consequences of it, which could be, you know, having a life that is free of the people who you love and who loved you. Uh, that's, that's a potential consequence. And that probably the best way is not to make a big deal out of it. Maybe, oh, I can say this now. Uh, you may not even have to use the A word to start with because that can be shocking. You use whatever word you're comfortable with. Hey, I don't believe that anymore. Or just start being yourself and be honest because they're going to start asking questions. Uh, in my case, I was, I was just getting ready to say I was outed by my uncle. But that's not really true because I was doing the TV show already. So I was out just my family lived in another town and they're not going to go looking for atheist content. And I was in the process of of writing a, a book or, or something along those lines that would explain to them, I hoped, in a way that they would understand. And my uncle was Googling his name, which used to be a thing, uh, and came across me and called me at work. And I won't go through the whole story because he really didn't out me. But what he did, and I'm in my 30s, and he's like, well, after we had our conversation, he said, I, I think I'm going to have to call your dad uh, if you don't tell him I'm going to tell him. Okay, so I'm 30-something, and my uncle, who's a former medical missionary, is going to tattle. <laughs> and in hindsight, I can laugh about this too, but at the moment, I was like, oh, fuck. Um, okay, I'll, I'll call him now. And hung up, and I called my dad. And my dad had no idea what I was talking about. So uh, he was like, I'm going to go do some research and call you back. And they ended up going to see Lee Strobel and asking him for advice about how to deal with their atheist ch child of 30-something. And Lee sold them copies of his books. Of course he did. <laughs> and two years ago, I had the opportunity to finally meet Lee Strobel in person. And uh, I brought him the book that my mom gave me. I told my mom, thanks, by the way. You can give me books from any apologist you want, but ask me first because I have a lot of them and I've already written rebuttals to some of these that you gave me. But I, I met Lee and I told him the story, and Lee doesn't debate, so I didn't you know, ask him if he wanted to debate. But I said, here's a thought. When parents come to you and say, what do we do about our atheist child? Tell them to talk to their fucking kid because you did nothing useful selling my mom your shitty little books. And that segues nicely into this question. Go for it. How do you keep your emotions in check when speaking with religious people? Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> 
I think the I think if you asked people, they would say Matt doesn't. <laughs> Those people don't actually know me because I do. For, for me, for me, it's kind of straightforward, and I think I'm. They used to be the firebrand or diplomat or one or the other, and I'm like, screw that. We need as much of whatever as we can because people believe for different reasons. They're going to give it up for different reasons. Uh, I may not be able to reach somebody that Phil can reach. Phil may not be able to reach somebody that I can reach. Right. Uh, it takes a village. If you're completely, like, if you're just passive and questioning, that may be an awesome tactic. If you are in their face, that might also be an awesome tactic. Probably not. I tend to not start there. I tend to make sure that they go negative or louder before me until we're on the show and they say something just awful. And I've made tons of mistakes in the show. Look, that, that's why I do the show, so that you can learn from my mistakes of where I, you're a moron, goodbye. <laughs> that's bad. Just there's almost no circumstance in which that is a good thing to do, and yet I have done it more than once. <laughs> I'm a little slow learner. I didn't find my way out of religion until I was, you know, in my 30s. I'm sure there's a nice clip reel on YouTube that's yes. just that. So this is why, if there's a question here, I, don't, I haven't read it yet, but if there's a question about whether or not I'm going to run for office, uh, you could put together a montage clip that makes me look like a fucking monster. <laughs> and you could put together another clip that makes me look like a saint, letting someone go on for 40 minutes to tell me how much you know, Jesus loves them, uh, or me. But it's not a problem for me in debates and things like that to maintain relative composure until I think it's justified. And most of the times where I've lost my temper, I think it's legit. And I think most people in the room would go, yeah, they, I'd, have, I'd have lost it way before Matt did. Uh, because what I do in my head, first of all, on the show, I make a game of it. When the call starts, my brain starts going, how quickly can I predict what their argument's going to be from what they started with? Where are they going? And did I get it right? I get it right quite a lot, but that also turns out to be a problem because I'll cut to the chase and not let them hang themselves, which can look kind of bad. But I try to remember that every time I'm speaking, every time I'm doing a debate, every show, it's probably somebody's first introduction to our show, to atheism, and I try to be the best representative that my patience will allow me to be at that moment. And it's one of the reasons why I love the fact that, you know, since uh, Jamie and Eric and, and Megan and the new crowd of people who are all part of the ACA have come in, um, we've got nine programs now that we're yeah, doing. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different approaches and a lot of different personalities. Because when your brain first hears something that's foreign, it says, oh, that's weird, and files it away in a bucket. And then the next time you hear it, it's like, hey, I think I heard something like that before. And it gets a little more normal. And then the third time, your brain goes, oh, wait, there's a pattern here. There's something to pay attention to. So maybe my conversation with somebody is the first time or the third time or the, in Ray Comfort's case, the 37,585th time, I think, was. Uh... <laughs> but you have to keep that in mind. You have to care about what you're doing. Have the right. I'm not doing the show to show that. I'm right and you're wrong, or I'm smarter right. than you and you're an idiot, or I'm morally superior to you even though I fucking am. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually doing it because I care about these things and it matters. I found my way out and it's frustrating to me that it took so long. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and, and if you have the right motivations, it's not that hard 
to keep your emotions in check. But here's the thing. You can, in much the same way that I might hang up on somebody, you can do that too. You don't have to, you don't owe anybody an explanation for who you are, what you think. You don't owe anybody a debate at all, ever. You're not required to be in a conversation that you're no longer comfortable being in. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is say, I'd rather not talk about that. It's personal, or I'm not in the mood to talk about that now. Or can we pause this conversation? Let me think about what you've said and pick it up again another time and then do that. And if they continue to harass you, but no, 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 but no, 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 no. Don't you understand that when Paul wrote, no, I don't understand. Can I go and research it so that I'm just not taking your word for it? Oh, um, and then they keep pushing. They're the asshole. Right. They're the ones that are unable to keep their emotion in check. If they can't respect you, then it's not worth continuing that conversation, to be perfectly honest. But How do you keep your emotions in check, Phil? What, what's your... <laughs> but I think you kind of touched on a little bit. It's the... You know, being on the show and getting some of the callers that we get coming in, it's it's very interesting listening to some of the arguments that are there. But, you know, I'm there. I want to have a conversation with those that are actually willing to have it, to have an earnest conversation about what it is they believe, you know, whatever that might be. And so, you know, in my mind, that's the purpose that I want. And so to facilitate that purpose as best I can, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I might touch on some things like, oh, that doesn't quite make sense. Or what do you actually mean by that? Because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, and, you know, can you clarify that? But it's kind of what you really want to get out of the conversation. Like, I go into it. We're on the show so that we can actually have substantive conversations with people and actually try to make a difference, even if it's not with that call or with someone that's watching you know, as Matt said, maybe for the first time, this is their first exposure. And if this is somebody's first exposure to this argument and, you know, we're behaving in a certain way or whatever else, well, what are they going to come away thinking? How is this actually going to be effective for them uh, going forward? And so that's how I kind of think about my role on the show and the host. You know, everybody has their own style, uh, that's for sure, <laughs> on the show. But, you know, it all adds up to having a good conversation and actually being able to you know, make a difference if we can and someone that's watching or the actual caller themselves. And so, you know, you put the effort into it and it gets much easier. That's probably one of the uh, comments that I see the most often is how do you, how can you stay so calm when they're spouting this nonsense or something like that? And it's just like, well, this is what we do. We try to have a conversation. Like, that's what we're here to do. And so it gets much easier than you think. There's a demon in our heads that says, (laughs) stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Yeah, that's the way my mom would put it. (laughs) <laughs> she says she's seen demons. Oh, okay. And just for years, I haven't talked specifically about my mom, and so now I'm doling it out in little doses. Oh, my. Yeah. Now I'm curious. Now everybody gets the inside look into the last <laughs> decade or so. What's next? Um, I will go ahead and read this. This is from um, well, someone that wanted to re- remain anonymous that PM'd me, but uh, what is the most ridiculous belief or story that you earnestly held when you are a believer? I guess all I'm, of them. <laughs> There's nothing that jumps out for you specifically. Something that you know, I try to remember exactly what I believed. Mm. And in many cases, it's what I was talking about earlier. I'm not convinced that I ever really knew exactly what I believed. It was just, Hey, I'm going and all these people around me believe. And so when you say there was a, a talking snake or a talking donkey, it's like, well, you know, God can do anything. So clearly that's not impossible. And I don't even think that talking snakes and talking donkeys are remotely in the realm of the most ridiculous things that I believe. Uh, perhaps the notion that I was uh, 
born bad and uh, was somehow broken and that the solution to this was to have this blood sacrifice of uh, an individual that was divine so that God could create a loophole for rules that he's in charge of in order to save me from what he wants to do to me if I don't accept that. <laughs> and then telling other people how much I believe that. That was probably, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, I mind, I, I was thinking about this question, trying to narrow it down to something, because you could just say, like, you know, the whole religion itself, but I was trying to think of something that stood out, but I remember when I was, I think I was like maybe eight or nine years old, something along those lines, and uh, the topic of discussion in the church was the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So uh, if you're not familiar, you know, just, just, Matthew five. just look it up. Five through seven, just look that up. But uh, <laughs> so they went through the uh, the whole spiel, turning the other cheek, all that wonderful good stuff. And so somehow in my mind, as as they were talking, I they were going through the whole spiel, and in my mind, I didn't hear sermon on the mount. I heard sermon on the mound with a D. And I <laughs> so ridiculous, but as a child, like my, the way that my mind kind of put that together as they were talking about, well, Jesus was up you know, on this, you know, giving all of these um, proclamations. Like a pitcher. That's exactly ah. what my mind put together that Jesus, it was like, I imagined this baseball field where it was this huge, you know, crowd of people around and there was this raised pitcher's mound and here was Jesus. And I remember it was, um, the picture I had in my head was like New York, New York Yankees like a jersey type of thing. But he was just there in the middle of the baseball field. And I had that in my mind for a while until I think it was maybe a half a year later when I found out that I had heard that wrong, that it wasn't on the mound, it was on the mount. And it was just, it was just a random fact to it. But I was the like, well, bases fuck, are I... loaded, bottom of the night. <laughs> and I really fucking believe Jesus it. steps up to the mound. <laughs> Pontius Pilate is at bat. <laughs> Can he save this game? Serve you the verses. <laughs> well, yeah, it was random as hell, but yeah, I really believed that for a while. And I just, it was he amazing. He can not only save the game, he can save us all. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have another one? Go for it. There's a couple I want to save towards closer to the end, but okay. uh, I posted a video about this the other day, so I won't have a whole lot to say. We can keep it shorter. Uh, Lori asks, since the burning of Notre Dame in Paris, there's been a lot of discussion on social media as to how atheist communities should respond. Many say the church should be torn down because of what it represents. Many atheists applauded the destruction. How should our community respond? Should we tear down the Parthenon? It's in ruins. Uh, here's the thing. There's a difference I'm not going to do the whole video. Did anybody see the video I put up the other day? Yeah, cool. So for you guys, I'll keep this really short. Uh, I'm not going to be donating any money to rebuild it because the Catholic Church is fucking rich and so is France. It transcends merely being a church. It's a historical monument. It's a museum. It is a source of income. It's a tourist thing. And there are people who are like, you know, Sarah Silverman famously pointed out, well, you know, we should just turn the Vatican into a homeless shelter. That'd be a much better use. Yes, I, I would agree. That would be a much better use. But the people who were saying, why are we spending money to rebuild Notre Dame when there are people starving and there's other things we can put that money to, 
It's a little short-sighted to say that because the rebuilding is going to create jobs, it's going to spike tourism, that money. The problem is how that money is being used after the fact, exactly as it is with any other church, actually. I just donated to my church so that they would help the homeless, and they kept 98 cents of my dollar, but they're not, I'm never going to know that because they don't have to report anything about their fucking income because they're exempt. So I think we should tax the fuck out of the churches. <laughs> They should not get a tax-exempt status until they can demonstrate they're actually doing something in the public good, not just a place for people to come donate part of their check and, and put on their Sunday best and hang out with all the other fucking hypocrites that they were partying with the night before. <laughs> I will be happy. I was sad when Notre Dame burned. It had nothing to do with the church, because the Notre Dame issue to me is not remotely about religion. Yes, it's a church. But that's not what that is. That's an 800-year-old historic monument. And if they decided not to rebuild it, I'd be a little sad, but I'd be okay with it. But at the end of the day, my money's going to go to causes that I value and believe in, and I'll let the church and the French government rebuild it. And then one day I'll go and see it. It's beautiful. I love it. Gorgeous Gothic architecture. Yeah. My ex-wife loves little white churches. We even have a, had a coffee table book on our well, it wasn't really on a coffee table, but a book there. It was all just pictures of little white churches. And as we drove all around the country, anytime we'd see a little white church, we'd pull over and stop and she'd get a picture with it. Anybody thinks that we were, like, applauding their religion, they should spend 10 minutes in discussion with us after the picture's taken because there's definitely nothing pro-religion in that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to see historical monuments torn down just because they have a tie to a dead or dying religion. And... Uh, an act of God like this is fundamentally different when some, than when somebody attacks a church, a mosque, a synagogue, a temple. And when those happen, the atheist community has by and large stepped up alongside others to raise money and denounce those actions. As a matter of fact, the atheist community, the secular community at large, is probably the single best defender of religious freedom and religious rights because we know how important it is, because the freedoms that allow you to I don't know, believe in talking snakes, or what allow us to say, can you prove it? And not get locked up. And if we're going to be in that position of protecting religious liberty, I don't want to take anybody's religion away by force or by legislation. I want them to give it up for good reasons. And so if there's an attack on a religious building, then it's nice that the atheist community steps up and helps out. And I wish, I hope it sends a signal to all these pious individuals who I debate who never step up to denounce Westboro. They never step up to, to announce these uh, Stephen Anderson. Oh, that's misogyny he's preaching. You know why they don't? They can't. Those people are on sound biblical footing. God hates fags. It's right there. Different language. My mom probably thinks they're terrible in the way that they go about spreading Jesus. She agrees with the position entirely, and that's why she can't denounce them. And this is why even the moderate and liberal theists who are out there who are like, rah, rah, I'm on your side. Look, I'm Pete, and I'm gay, and I'm going to talk to Pence about what's wrong. Yes, okay, please. You're not taking a stand against religion. You're bickering with somebody who you agree with on the vast majority of things within the scope of the doctrine, except for the things that affect you. I mean, is P. 
Pete going to be calling out Mike Pence for his homosexual bigotry if he wasn't gay? Well, how can there even be a gay Christian church? I know there's tons of them. I have friends that are at them. I go to them on occasion and visit. Well, we've chosen not to pay attention to that verse. How about you choose not to pay attention to the rest of them and we can get on with living life? That was a question about Notre Dame. <laughs> but, uh, do you, do you Bill, what, what's your opinion? What, in your opinion, is the best book you've ever read on atheism and why? This is from Brad. Mm. Just the best book altogether. Mm. Trying to think. I'll go while you're thinking. I always recommend Guy P. Harrison's 50 Reasons People Give for Believing in a God. Um, not because it's the best one to prepare you for debates or get you to understand doctrine. It's approachable by anybody. It's 50 short essays where real people have said, here's why I believe. And then Guy writes an essay explaining it. I think it's accessible to everybody. It's a book I'd love to give my mom. Maybe I'll do that for Mother's Day. Maybe I'll include a little note in the front that says, before we stuff you in the box, I would really like for you to stop believing garbage. Happy Mother's Day. Love, Matt. I would never do that, by the way. That's only for the people who heard the letter I got. Uh, I, I'll keep the high ground. But that's, that's the one I recommend most often. I think God is not great. Was my... Yeah. Just I, I had the audio book, so it was it was awesome to actually listen to uh, the audio book. But that was that was my that's the one that sticks out to me because I used to just listen to them while I was at work uh, before I even got really started with uh, the atheist community of Austin or you know, really coming up uh, for the show. That's it would just kind of be in the background, and that's that's the one I would go with. I would probably say God is not great. Yeah, just it was it was a good one. it was a good one. So if you if you haven't, I'm not sure how many people in here just haven't. Uh, you know, explore Christopher Hitchens' work at all, but that was that was a good one for me. All right, what else we got? Uh, I'm not sure if we want to say this one uh, later on, but um, Ari on Facebook asked, uh, "What was the most ridiculous call you've ever taken on AXP?" <laughs> I'd go in your memory banks there. I'm but... so tempted to just say all of them again, but those are not good <laughs> answers. Uh, I think uh, probably. There were several. There was a guy who called years ago who went by the name Three Eyes. Um, mm. there, there's a couple. I'll run them down real quick. Three Eyes would call in sometimes about his ghost stories, but he gave us instructions on how we could prove that the spirit world is real. And it involved oh, yeah, uh, constructing a wooden frame with a mirror in it. And you had to either use nails and not screws or screws and not nails. I forget which one. Um, and then you needed a big, long piece of rope. And what you would do is you'd take this mirror out to a creek or somewhere else where there was running water, and you would hold the mirror under the water and gaze into it. And this would create a portal to the spirit realm. And you needed the rope with a friend to hang on to the end of the rope so that when you got sucked in, they could pull you back out. <laughs> that was a good one. There's also the one that other people, I mean, I think it got listed as like, well, there's the best call ever who answered all of his own questions. There was also the guy who was like, uh, if, if we're... <laughs> now I'm curious. <laughs> Russell was trying to explain to this guy that essentially our bodies work like chemical batteries, that we, we 
process, you know, light and food and stuff like that to give us energy. Mm -hmm. And he was explaining that the, the sun is ultimately the source of all this. And it was, probably wasn't as clear on the description as it could have been. And the guy said, if that's the case, then why don't I get electrocuted in the shower? And why don't I die when the sun goes down? And I was just like, read a fucking book. And was, <laughs> you know, which, which was bad, but I, I have to admit, it was a, it's a call that stuck with me for probably 10 or more years. That is funny. Yeah, I remember a call. It was uh, Russell and I that were on the call, and uh, that was a caller I would just say with a heavy accent I'll, I'll uh, put it that way but um, it was he was angry at us it was specifically us like the atheist community of Boston he was angry at us and of course we were trying to figure out well why why particularly us like what the hell do we do and he was mad at us because we weren't being as fervent and fighting against what he called idolatry and worship and of course, we asked, clarified, you know, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? So he was referencing, like, if you buy tickets to a concert, so you go to a Beyonce concert, you are engaging in idol worship by doing so. And us as an atheist uh, organization, we should be fighting against such things. So he equated all forms of, you know, going to see a performer, trying to get their signature, like all that kind of stuff. He was taking that as, uh, actual worship and as we were trying to explain to him like no that's not the way that we see it or how most people would see that at all uh, he started he referenced his niece and the fact that his niece had boy band pictures on her wall and he was so taken aback by that because she was worshiping these boy bands on a wall I'm not sure if it's like 1D or somebody that was that's on something the wall. we should definitely put a fucking stop to <laughs> But uh, so as he's asking, he was just like, I don't understand why my niece would have a picture of a boy band on her wall. You know, he's, she's idolizing. I don't she's understand worthy. why my niece bought that vibrating toothbrush. <laughs> when, when she bought the boy band poster. <laughs> but as we're... Why? <laughs> Sex positive people. <laughs> your kink is not my kink, but your kink's okay unless it's boy bands. <laughs> But as we're going through this explanation, Russell starts going into, well, you know, when people reach a certain age, they may start recognizing that they have certain attractions towards someone. And so this conversation ensued for about the next 10 minutes. And at the end of it, I was like, I, I can't believe that we just had to talk sitting here on the fucking atheist experience, you know, courtesy of the ACA. We went through the whole thing and it was just like, this is unreal at the end of this call, but he was, I'm not sure if he was serious or not. He didn't seem like a troll. We didn't take it as one because he did seem earnest, but he was really mad at us because we're not fighting against this idolatry. Ticket sales are through the roof for Drake and whomever else that's performing, and this, it's all this idol worship all over the place, and it was our responsibility to do something about it. That was probably the most Well, he's done one. his part of it. He called an atheist show to get them to do what he wants them to do. Like, what are we going to do? Like, like we're going to take on the, the fucking beehive and say, like, no, you can't go to that concert. Like, what are we supposed to do on there? Who's listening to us? Get out of here. But, yeah, that, that was some ridiculous, <laughs> a ridiculous call that definitely sticks with me. Uh, what you got? Randall asks, how do I respond to a Christian who uses the phrase, but that's in the Old Testament, while simultaneously using the Old Testament to push the Ten Commandments oh, or anti-LGBT rights? Uh, I think you just kind of came up with your own response. Here's right. the thing. 
But that's the Old Testament. Correct. And that's where we get the origins of life, original sin, every prophecy that Matthew and other Christians wanted to try to claim that Jesus fulfilled. And so when we dump all that out, you have a story about a guy with no past, no history, no scripture to point to who comes along and says, hey, guess what? I think I can fix some things. And then they killed him. And that was the end. Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, that, that's mine and probably the Jefferson Bible's version. Yeah, it's, I, 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 there's a video on my Atheist Debate channel about almost everything. But there's one about the Old Testament, too, uh, and, and it's, that, that's the short version. But the truth is, I mean, even when you're talking to apologists, they're going to recognize that you, oh, well, you, you, don't, you don't have the Ten Commandments. If, if you're going to throw out the Old Testament, then let's, first of all, tear down all those Ten Commandments monuments you've been polluting our fucking capitals with for years, uh, where the Supreme Court invented a grandfather clause for the one in Texas. Uh, while making the Kentucky one come down, which is how I got on the show, by the way, uh, years ago. I wrote an article about that and was already active in the community. So that was the first, first show I did was on the Ten Commandments case. Um, basically, the, in much the same way that Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, that's the thing they're trying to avoid. They recognize that there are people out there who are familiar with the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is just full of all these problems. Here's the dirty little secret. What happens to you when you die, according to the Old Testament? Who the hell knows? You're dead. You've gone on to sleep with the fathers. That's why Judaism doesn't have a very good understanding of an afterlife or anything else. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Who knows? (laughs) Do what you want if you're reform. If you're, you know, Hasidic or conservative, that things are going to change a little bit. It's only in the New Testament that you get eternal punishment for finite crimes. It's only in the New Testament. I mean, granted, we stopped killing as many animals as we used to just because God loves the smell of blood and guts and smoke, uh, which in Texas we call barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) But we came up with this new sacrifice that mm, isn't a sacrifice because Jesus had a shitty weekend and then went on to be God. I'll do that. I'll do that right now, actually. If if I knew for sure, you don't even have to let me be God. Just let me come back. I'm not sure if we have the tools for that. I don't think we have that here. (laughs) Yeah, you don't get to throw out the Old Testament, and and it is only the the weakest of the cookie-cutter Christians who who don't recognize that right off the bat, which is about, I don't know, 60, 70, 80% of them, I would say. (laughs) Uh, I have this question, I guess one that was just given to me. So this is from Anonymous. That's what it has on here. But uh, it says, I don't have the time or emotional energy to start a podcast, build a grassroots organization, etc. I do, however, support the proliferation of ideas from those who are the faces of the atheist movement. As an atheist who wants to see change, I don't feel like rallies and conferences alone are enough. How do you envision actual progress in advancing a secular agenda, what small actions might I take that aren't going to uh, devolve into arguments? And um, like this, uh, this question, it kind of leads into one of the other topics that um, I kind of wanted to discuss, but I think it was um, Edward uh, uh, Tabish, Tabash, maybe uh, from last night, I was kind of talking about this, about the blitz of bills that are being pushed in so many states around. Is uh, Eddie in uh, here? Oh, 
Maybe not. I know there's a great talk last night. If you if you missed it, you, or even if you heard it, you should probably listen to it again. Right, right. The war center last night. But uh, there's a bill uh, in Texas, for example. I just wanted to choose a, a, a example local to us, but it's Senate Bill 17, and it was pushed by Senator Charles Perry, and essentially. The bill would prohibit the state's hundreds of occupational licensing boards from enacting rules or regulations that would burden an applicant or license holder's free exercise of religion. And essentially what that means is it would give those licensed by the state. So, you know, your lawyers, your plumbers, you know, you have to get certified and you have to have uh, the certifications on file with the state of Texas in order to practice in certain perfections, but it gives them the ability to fight to keep their license if it's threatened because of actions they took based on their faith. And what that translates to, it's already passed the Texas Senate already, and it's just uh, waiting deliberation on the House side. But I, I would agree with this person that kind of wrote this question that rallies and conferences for the problems that we're facing, considering all the changes that we've had on the federal judiciary, the Supreme Court, all of these things that are going, all of these bills that are trying to be pushed that are trying to enshrine religious freedom, which translates into discrimination for the rest of everyone else, it's not going to be enough to just go to the rallies and then go home and just wait for the next rally to come and show up for that one. Actually being active, making a call to your representative to let them know that, hey, you do have an atheist constituent here, and I'm very concerned about what you're putting forth because you're saying that I don't matter. If someone discriminates against me or denies me to say, or oh, plumber comes to my house, and because he sees I'm there with my partner, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to serve this establishment. I'm not going to honor this contract because, well, my re sincerely held religious beliefs are that you know gay people are going to hell and I cannot uh, I cannot do anything or baking a cake or whatever else that's there but it's trying to enshrine these laws and I'm not sure if the hope is for um, a challenge to happen so that it gets to the federal bench and they get a favorable ruling so that these things can be enshrined uh, and become the law of the land on this side and so you know the little actions that you can take you know, it's everybody is different. Everyone has different abilities. People have responsibilities or whatever it is. But being active, being visible in your community, letting your representatives know that you are around, that you uh, support women's rights. Because there's so many bills like the one passed in Ohio uh, about the was it the six week ban on abortion here in Ohio. And these laws are propagating all over the place. And us going to rallies and just going to conferences, which is wonderful for community, for building the coalition, for actually exchanging ideas and being heard and you know getting a battle plan as to where, where to go forward. But the important thing is you must go forward. You have to get out there and contact your representatives. Actually jump out there because if we don't do anything, the problems that we're seeing around, they're not going to fix themselves. They're not going to get better by just attending these rallies or kind of just staying at home and not doing anything except for coming out to these. You have to get out in those communities. And not everyone has that ability to do so. Like, we should all recognize that with our own personal journeys coming out of this. But for those who can, it is vitally important for stuff like this, for this type of bill that just, on it's not even a thinly veiled thing. It is, yes, people that are licensed by the state 
have the ability, will have the ability to discriminate as long as it's a sincerely held belief. It's my sincerely held belief that they can go fuck themselves if they're going to try to do this in ways that harm people. This person's exactly right. Conference, a conference, anybody who came to this conference thinking that, you know, the American Atheist 2019 convention is going to change the world? No. It's not going to change anything but the people who are here and the people who see it and hear about it. And that's the reason to do it. We don't have a conference to go, yep, we, let's have another, we'll have a conference this month and next month and next month and two months after that, and then the world will be fixed. The purpose of the conference is to get people together so that you know you're not alone, so that you are hopefully more informed on the issues that you might be able to do something about, so that you can meet up with people in your area that you had no idea were in your area. What I want to do, what I want to, and this was not my original idea, but I think it's great. I want to have an American Atheist Conference in 2020, hopefully. It's difficult to do, but tape out the outline of the United States on the floor, get all the chairs off, and have everybody go stand where they live. And now you can immediately see who's near you. That's the way you're going to build the connections. The purpose of the conference is to make sure people are informed, that they're excited. And I have my own six-week ban, by the way. If six weeks from now you're no longer excited by the things you heard here enough to participate, come back to another conference because you needed another dose. But we need people doing stuff. I love conventions. I love speaking at conventions. I love hanging out at conventions. I love meeting people. I love hearing their stories. This is what you do to build the community. And then you say, go do shit. Go in the other room tomorrow and stuff as many boxes with food for the homeless as we can. Go talk to your representatives. Make sure you're informed. Listen to what Allison Gill has to say about what's coming up, what where we need to be focused, what you can do, who you can call, who you can write a letter to. And if you're worried about, I don't want to do anything that's maybe going to cause an argument or anything else, then you can financially support these things. You can support them on anonymously on messenger and other things you can be you can be sure that you can call your representatives and now say just the other day i saw this poll saying that non-religious people are now the largest group if we break it down like this and even if we're not the largest i mean we're 20 some odd percent well that's more than jews Jews have the Anti-Defamation League. They have lobbyists. Why are you coming up with all this God talk? What have you done for the secular community? And why are you working in opposition to the values that we are presenting and supporting? You've, you've got data on your side because of years of conventions, because of years of people doing TV shows. We are building. We are growing. The convention's not going to fix anything. The convention is us getting together and saying, hey, let's go fix things. That's, that's what this is about. And there's a, there's a follow-up question here uh, from Mo that says, I'm often asked why I'm an activist and accused of being as bad as an evangelical. Do you have a good elevator speech about why you're an activist? Yeah, because I want to leave this world better than the way I found it. I'd like for we just to not keep breaking things. I'm an activist because that's the only way you're actually going to change anything. I'm an activist because I've seen the effects of being an activist. You, you can fill out as many online petitions as you want with thousands of signatures. I've never seen any of them that were particularly effective. I know some of them spawned movements that became far more effective. I'm an activist because I don't know any other way to affect change, and I'd like to change things. It's interesting that you would say that I'm just as bad as an evangelical. I'm glad you think they're bad. However... <laughs> 
I'm not going door to door and knocking on people's doors to say, hey, have you stopped believing in Jesus yet? I can help. I don't make outgoing calls from my TV show. I have the conversations with the people who call us because they're consenting and they want to have those. So I don't think I'm in the same category as them. And what you're doing is you're confusing passion and commitment to an idea with passion and commitment to another idea. So let's talk about which of those ideas is actually beneficial. And then you'll find out what activism is all about. Yeah. And what you got next? Oh, this um, is still Senate Bill 17. Yeah, I stomped all over you. Sorry. No, 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 you're good. I, but I wanted to put uh, what Matt said um, was, uh, was right. It's, uh, we've got to have more actions there. And to put a, a finer point on this particular bill that's uh, in Texas, uh, let me give you two quotes here from the person who actually put forth this lovely piece of legislation, uh, which was Senator Perry out of Texas. And he says, and I'll apologize to every senator on the floor publicly for any offense that I created, but it's that important to me because it's not about the here and now. It's about where we're going to spend our eternity. It's unfortunate that we're living in a day and time that people of faith that are very well balanced can't practice their faith openly in a public square anymore. I'll end the quote there and say that's some bullshit. When are evangelicals and conservatives actually going to get equality in this country? When we beat you down to where we're actually equal and you get rid of your privileged position, that's when you guys get equality. And trying to use that type of, for lack of a better word, bullshit rhetoric to try to... uh, Put it in legislation that discriminates on marginalized communities is ridiculous. And that's something that we're going to have to fight against. You know, um, solving these problems with human actions, like, it's the basis of why I like activism so much, why I do so much community service, because the problems that we see around us are not going to get solved unless we get out there and do something about those problems, recognizing that they're there, not ignoring them. And for those of us that can actually get out there uh, running for office, if you're able, not everyone can do that. But like Gail Jordan, uh, who was the recipient of an award just last night at the awesome. awards dinner, is an awesome person, really is. And but that makes things more visible. Being visible in your local community, even if you know it's not everyone can do it, but if you can, it is worth that struggle to do so because there's so much coming down the pike and so much we're going to have to fight that. Sitting on the sidelines, that shit just ain't going to work. It, it really isn't. So, you know, I don't want to just preach at you, but for lack of a better term, be active in your community. Do your thing. Ask people for help. You know, find out what you can do on your side. You know, you have the power to make a difference, whatever difference that may be, however small that might be. But all of us making a change together, we can move mountains around this piece. So I'll get off my soapbox. Amen. I have, uh, what, we got like 15 minutes left or something? I don't even know. Give or take. Where's our time keep? It's all right. (laughs) Well, I want to make sure we clear out time for Anthony. But uh, I've got some rapid fire questions for you, Phil. All right. What keeps you going? Jen wants to know. What choice do I have? I got this life to live. I only have a small time to do it. Hell, let's make it work. Yeah, somebody, somebody asked me something similar about, you know, I've, done the, I've hosted the TV show for now 14, 15 years, something like that. It's, uh, hey, when are you going to stop? 
probably when somebody kills me. Uh, <laughs> as soon as the ACA says, hey, we really think you should stop doing the show, that's when I stop doing the show. Um, there could be other things that, that cause it to happen. I, I can't not do it. And a good example of this, you know, I started working with the ACA. People were warning me, don't do, don't do too much, because I was the president, I was the librarian, I'm hosting the show, and all this. You're going to burn out, you're going to burn out, you're going to burn out. Curiously, most of the people who said that are no longer part of the organization, and I'm still there. Uh, but Phil Ferguson was supposed to come down to the atheist experience, and Chicago got iced in 50 below. And so he messages me, and he says, hey, I'm not going to make it down this weekend. And wow, I just realized how bad this is going to sound. I was like, yeah, you know, sorry to hear that. And then I messaged Mark and said, Phil can't make it down this weekend for the show, so can I do the show with Tracy? And, and Mark was like, yeah, I'm a junkie. Uh, what's the worst thing someone said to you when they found out you were an atheist? Uh, Ashton asks. Mm. Probably that, um, goodness, let's see. But I'm you're so sure. nice. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's. I've heard of that. You know what's what happened. Yep. You know something had to have what happened, happened to you. Uh, it couldn't just. We be could play bingo that, with this. What happened is on there. <laughs> you know. Did, but did, you're so nice. Did somebody hurt you? Did you know? Did someone? Uh, did someone die? And that caused you some depression and strain. You got. Are you mad at God? That that's a big one. That's there. Uh, but it's it's never that. You know. Oh, I just I actually. You know, examined my beliefs and I found it more rational um, and my understanding that this was no longer belief that I held because I had no good reasons for believing it. But that doesn't usually seem to be one of the options that are presented to me when uh, they put that back. It's always something condescending. But yeah, those, you know, why are you mad at God? That's, that's, that's some bull. So that's fun stuff. Nobody's ever said anything unkind to me when they found out everything. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oh, I've got a, a Go. little quick one here for you. Uh, how did it feel to lose to Eric and Jamie during fundraising? Oh. Right. Um, <laughs> and that was from a, a, a Jade Young here. It's <laughs> it, it felt amazing. It was wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm glad those guys are, are doing well. Someday they'll be at the big kids' table. <laughs> Uh, I love that Jamie thought that I was perhaps cheating a little bit by putting in the last $40 while simultaneously three or four people on the other side of the glass were also reaching for the $40 to make the gap. And then when it was over, you know, it was, hey, we got another donation, but you don't get to count that because the show's over. And then all of a sudden, well, if I can't count the donation that came in after my show, how is it that you can count the donation that came in at the end of my show? Because your show had been over for hours by the time you got several hundred dollars to put you just a little bit ahead. But hey, you guys win. You're awesome. <laughs> you know who's really awesome? The people who are really awesome are the people who watch the show, the people who support the show on the Patreon project, the people who come to the conventions and laugh and cheer along. Uh, I don't care. I've, I've done t plenty of fundraising competitions. I ended up with a pink beard 
which I loved, <laughs> by the way, uh, because we raised like $15,000 to send kids to Camp Quest. It was an awesome beer. I will compete with anybody, and we can talk shit back and forth, and then when it's done, we give the money to the people who need it, and we'll go out and split a bottle of champagne and, and make a big deal out of it on the show. So good for them, because those guys... See, Jamie's, Jamie's counter-argument would be, yes, Matt, but you've been doing the show for 14 years, and we've been doing it for, like, two, and we're pretty much caught up. <laughs> True. And, and if we went and looked at all those episodes of Talk Heathen and kind of said, oh, which ones have the most views? How many of those was I on? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, that was my little snarky thing to the guys I love, and then somebody gave me a better line, which is, that's cool, Jamie, but how many times have you been on Atheist Experience? Oh, dear. Oh, oh <laughs> shit. No, we, we are genuinely all good friends. Uh, the competition is, it's not a dirty secret. The competition is a way to get more money, which we needed to be able to get everybody up here, and we are incredibly grateful, and I am I'm absolutely over the moon proud of what all those individuals in the, in the ACA are doing with the new shows. I hope... I hope they get to the point where every show is more popular than anything I've ever done or said, because that means we've won. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> this, one's, this one's important. Yeah. As a former Christian, I'm bothered by some atheists who seem to see atheist gatherings as an opportunity to bash and make fun of religious people, as if all religious people are idiots. And I want to say, that used to be me, and I wasn't an idiot, and my Christian friends aren't idiots. I feel, I feel people expressing this kind of attitude are perpetuating the stereotype of atheists as angry, hostile people, and it's counterproductive. What are your thoughts on this? How can we discharge, discourage this behavior in our community? Uh, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm, I have tried over the years, I've fucked it up a lot, to make sure that I'm attacking ideas as stupid and not people as stupid. And also, we've had to change the language and, you know, some words I just don't use anymore and everything else, but to make sure that you, the target of what you're talking about is the idea and not the person. My IQ didn't go up when I stopped believing I was a believer for many, many years. I may be colloquially smarter because there are things that I know now that I didn't know then, but that has nothing to do, it's not a function of my religion. I debate seriously wicked intelligent people on a regular basis who are believers. I am fine with ridicule of ideas and would prefer that we didn't ridicule people. I know I've done it. I know other people have had. And when you come to something like the American Atheist Convention and you hear that, here's the thing to understand. The people that are doing that were likely also religious and don't necessarily view themselves as idiots. This is a cathartic exercise when you see this sort of thing, when you hear these sorts of comments at the Atheist Convention from people who have been stuck in a corner every Christmas surrounded by religious people having to keep their mouth shut. These are the people who have been the subject of ridicule from religious people without them even realizing it. I'm the closeted atheist in the room, and these people are saying that I'm born bad, that I'm broken, that I need going to hell, that I'm deserving of all of this, that they've got the magic solution. These are the people who are saying, oh, because I love someone who's the same gender as I am, or because I don't identify with a particular gender or the gender that you tried to assign me at birth, that all of a sudden, you're broken, and you're bad, and you're evil. The people who are criticizing religious people 
aren't going at it from the sense of your IQ is clearly low. They're not going from it the standpoint of clearly you are uninformed. Clearly you are a worse person. It is you have been fucking up the world and shitting on people like me. And now I'm surrounded by the people that I like. And yeah, we'll probably talk a little shit about you. But we were there too. It's a way of going, I'm free. And I'm around people who know what I went through. And so while I'm very, very particular about the words that I use in a, in a debate, and perhaps overly pedantic, and I'll talk for hours in case you haven't figured it out. <laughs> in debates, I don't say God does not exist. Because now that's an assertion that requires me to actually defend it. And I think it's an unfalsifiable proposition. I think it's something that you, that you cannot possibly demonstrate. But I also think it's a strategic mistake to shift the burden of proof. The burden of proof is on the people who claim that God exists. But when I'm hanging out at the atheist convention, I'm happy to say, there ain't no fucking God. Because I'm not in a debate. I'm talking to the other people who figured out, wow, we have what we mean. When I say there's no God... I mean, I have absolutely no reason to believe that there's a God. Nobody's prevented, presented any evidence. It's embarrassing that for thousands of years we've had debate after debate because some bigot doesn't like the fact that some dude kissed a dude, and now we've got to spend 20 years talking about the same issue over and over again. So I feel you. I don't think religious people are idiots. If I did, I wouldn't spend time talking to them and trying to change their mind. But you've also got to cut people a little slack because religion has done massive damage to people in this room and around the world at conventions. And so if they get a little snarky at a, at a, at a gathering like this, take it in stride, because it's light years better than what they put up with and what the religious community is trying to do when they attempt to legislate their beliefs to fundamentally change the world we live in so that we don't have the freedoms and rights that we fucking deserve. Time two quick other ones and we're done. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, read this one real fast. Um, for those, this is a by uh, Matt Collier. Okay. Um, for those who use Pascal's wager. Stop. For, for those. No. Uh, this, no. This is a. Uh, I was kidding. Go ahead. Read my question. Uh, for those who use Pascal's wager for Thea's claim, uh, yet deny climate change, can we use the basic premise of Pascal's wager to support climate change? Is it. Um, in a, like, I guess this is an example. Is it better to try and be wrong than not to try at all? I would strongly caution no. Um, and the reason I say that is using Pascal's wager. Like I mean, we, we ridicule that because you know you're asking this question. You know, there's you're saying, oh, if if you're you know believing in this, if if this this will cause no harm. Uh, therefore, you know, if you don't believe it, you know, you may go to hell or something like that. But of course that. You know, disregards all the different uh, religious beliefs that are out there that have whole different sets of requirements of what their afterlife's caused and anything else. But for climate change, you know, since it has evidence to back it up, if there is evidence that's there, I would say to use that approach to say, this is what we're seeing. This is what the data is showing. We're always talking about, you know, logic and reason and evidence in the arguments on the show and our personal conversations. I would also say that that's also something that you should apply 
to that conversation. Uh, you know, just saying that you, you might as well, you know, otherwise, you know, what's it, that's not an effective argument versus saying we have data that shows that we are increasing, you know, the CO2 levels on uh, this planet. Wow, that's a little earlier. Is our, is our time up? Are we good? Okay. He's not playing us off. <laughs> but why not use the evidence at hand and actually talk about that issue? If we use that for all the arguments that uh, we use on the show and for a lot of the um, debates that we have, shouldn't it be good enough also when you're trying to convince someone um, for climate change? I mean, you would hope so, and that would, you would hope that would be convincing, but using Pascal's wager to try to convince someone that they should do something about climate change, I'm not sure if that's the most effective way. It may or may not be. In the spirit of Matt's question, uh, my answer is kind of yes, and I've seen people do this, like, but, but what if we make the world a better place and we were wrong? <laughs> that is a version. That is the look at the trees, Pascal's wager for climate change that may actually be effective with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm good with I Don't call it Pascal's wager. Don't call it anything like that. Just, <laughs> but, but look at the polls. All right, last question, and then we're going we're gonna to go. And I, I want to thank everybody. I, I always love coming to these things. I'm thrilled that Phil was able to be here with this for me. And a special thank you to Vern and Ben and Cecil and everybody who does the work behind Megan the scenes. Megan out there as well. Somewhere. Phil, this one's yours. Mm. Cecile asks, how do I deal with asshole kids at school? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man, that is... Kids can be assholes. Uh, that's definitely my goodness. I, my my experience in in high school, there was definitely some bullying that was there, and especially like me being gay and that kind of mm-hmm. you know, evolving out when I was there. But I was at least tall and large, not to uh, get some of the ire that other people did experience uh, that I see around. But I mean, with that, kids are going to be assholes. Like there's there's a limit of what you can do about it. Like, I mean, I had my own crew that was only like my own people that I would hang out with. And, you know, as people were being assholes or trying to say something, trying to talk about me or whatever else, you know, I, I didn't have time for that. They, I tried to put them out of, out of my mind. If they tried to do something else more confrontational, then that's a different conversation. Uh, I think a lot of it, a lot of adults and people in the community are going to give advice that, about things like you know oh you can get with the secular student alliance you can start a secular student alliance at your, mm-hmm. at your school you can you should know what your rights are you should know how you should go interact with the administrations and all that's true and good I'm here to tell you the dirty little secret that a lot of other people in the room won't tell you I graduated high school with 900 and some odd other kids I remember the names and interact with two of them. <laughs> It'll get better. Really? And you won't have to deal with them forever. And at some point, all the ones that were assholes to you, if you run into them again, they'll probably need something from you uh, or <laughs> want something from you. And then you can choose whether or not you're going to be the better person or say, you remember that time back in high school? <laughs> all the way back when. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. There are no easy answers. It reminds me of, Matt, what are you going to do if you die? And you have to stand before God, and he's real, and he sends you to hell. I'll go to hell knowing that I'm morally superior to the thuggish piece of shit that sent me there for not believing on a lack of evidence. I was honest with myself. 
And the same thing applies to dealing with kids in school. You're in the right. If somebody's bullying you, that's a defect in their character, not yours. Keep that in mind and realize that that's not going to last forever. You've got an amazing life in front of you, and you've got a community here that actually cares, and everybody's been through that at some point or another. You're going to make it, and I know, because if you weren't, you probably wouldn't have had the temerity to, to write down that question and ask it. It already time. tells me how strong you are and that you're going to be fine. Yeah, so find your community and you know, support each other, do that, and hopefully you can get through it. Uh, just fine, but I think, so we, I think we're reaching. We are done. Inside. Thank you, American Atheist Cincinnati, Ohio 2019. I'm Matt Delaney. This is Phil Session. There's our crew. We'll be out and about for pictures and hanging out. Thank you. Everybody take care. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.